You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 984 of the Locked on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you deep into the night on a Saturday into Sunday. And today's show is brought to you by rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliable low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com until the Locked on sent you. Today's podcast will focus on what became an 11-point win for the Hawks over the Chicago Bulls this evening at State Farm Arena. And the Hawks need to get this win. It's more of a taking care of business spot in a lot of ways because the Bulls, as we'll talk about in a second, were pretty shorthanded in this game. The Hawks were pretty comfortable favorites. But in the first half, it wasn't great for Atlanta, and they dug sort of a hole for themselves, but they played much, much better after halftime. Turn it up, and with the win, the Hawks have now won five in a row at home. They're 13-2 and in their last 15 at home, and they snapped a three-game losing streak, of course, from this last week. And uh, at the top here, the Hawks cl- clinch a playing spot. So that's not the goal for anyone at this point in time. It obviously was coming into the year. The playoffs were, were really the goal, or the postseason of some kind. But for now... It's sort of a consolation that the Hawks are now locked in to at least the play situation, but still, that's not that's not a small thing necessarily. So Atlanta will be aiming for the four or five seed if they can help it, but uh, at a bare minimum now, they'll be playing some basketball for the first time in quite a while. So we'll dive into the game here with some pregame stuff coming into the game first, and it was a back-to-back for both teams with travel on both sides. The Hawks have home court, of course, in this spot. And the Hawks did beat the Bulls last time on April 9th, about you know less than a month ago now, with Zach Levine going crazy with 50 in that game. But since then, Chicago's been banged up with Levine out, and they, they actually were 4-9 in their last 13 coming in. So this is not a great team that the Hawks played against on this night. We'll start with the less positive injury news. There was mostly a positive night on the injury front for the Hawks because for the first time in a long time, the Hawks were the more healthy team on the floor in this game. Um, but we'll start with the less optimistic news. So Cam Reddish is obviously out probably for the entire regular season and beyond. DeAndre Hunter, though, is still out. And I had some angry tweets at my mentions about Hunter not playing by the time um, this weekend arrived. After Travis Schlick brought that up on the radio earlier this week. At that point, earlier last week on the podcast, I did try to kind of give some context that, you know, Hunter and all the radio comments are not necessarily to be taken as gospel at this point in time. Schlick did say, by the way, that, they, that he could play by the end of the week, not that he would play with regard to Hunter and Trey Young, who did play. Uh, both uh, on Friday and on Saturday. But before the game on Saturday, Nate McMillan was actually asked about DeAndre Hunter's progress. I'm going to play the audio for you now, and uh, here is Nate on DeAndre. Hey, Nate, can you give us an update on how DeAndre is progressing and, and when you might expect him back in the lineup? Uh, Chris, I can't tell you when uh, he will be back in the lineup. Uh, he hasn't done anything on the floor in the last couple of days. He was working out uh, up until uh, the Philadelphia game. Uh, well, the second game um, and uh, the, the day before the second game, uh, we took him off the floor uh, and uh, he hasn't had any workout uh, far as moving uh, since then. So uh, he is still not, uh, uh, you know, he's not going to be available, certainly uh, not tonight. And uh, I can't say when he will be available. Also, that was the voice of Chris Kirster of The Athletic asking the question. But uh, as you can hear there from McMillan, no real update on Hunter's status, no timeline update whatsoever. He's not done anything on the floor the last couple days. And for me, I thought this is probably not the most positive report. Obviously, there's no details here 
Uh, it's all kind of shrouded in mystery, but it didn't seem particularly upbeat or that he'll be back anytime soon. But at the same time, uh, you know, Schleck was pretty positive. So who knows at this stage? I would say that, you know, if Hunter was out this week and beyond, I wouldn't be surprised. If Hunter was back soon, I wouldn't be stunned by that either. So um, I think, if anything, this is not a great report, um, but it's only one quote. It's less than a minute of audio, and that's the latest on Hunter. So nothing else that I know to pass along to you at this point. But those guys are the only ones that missed in this game. So to be more positive, the Hawks had 15 guys available. 15 out of 17 available for the first time since March 22nd. So, And even then, that was sort of a one-off game where both Dunn and Reddish were the ones that were out. For the most part, it's been three, four, five, six, even seven guys out for the Hawks at times. So having most of their roster available in this game was a nice change of pace. Um, Trey Young, Clint Capella, and Tony Snell were all off the injury report entirely coming into the night, which is pretty positive. And then Bogdanovich and Herter... Both were questionable coming in, but they ended up playing. Herder came off the bench. Bogdanovich uh, ended up starting alongside Tony Snell in the starting lineup. So um, getting the wings back was big in this game. We'll talk about that more as we get going here. On the Bulls side, no Zach Levine. He's missed the last 10 games in a row. That, that's obviously huge because he's their best player on the perimeter by a wide margin. And then Nikola Vucevic was questionable in the game. Billy Donovan then said he was going to play in pregame. And uh, I actually was the one that broke the news. Not, not necessarily what I normally do, but I, I had a tip on this one. Um... He ended up not playing. He was a late scratch, ended up sitting, and that was a big thing because, you know, if you, if you talk this, this Bulls team, they have two, you know, fringe stars, and those guys are Zach Levine and Nikola Vucevic. So being without both of those guys on the road, Atlanta went from a relatively modest favorite in the betting market to bet online, our friends there, making the Hawks as an eight or an eight and a half point favorite by tip off without Vucevic and Levine. So with all that said, I sort of alluded to this earlier on the podcast at the very top here, but the Hawks needed to win this game. Um, would it have been the worst loss in the history of the world if they had lost it? No, but the Bulls without Levine and Vucevic on the road, is that's pretty bad. So for the Hawks to go down as they did in the first half was not ideal, but they ended up covering the spread, they ended up winning comfortably, and uh, that made for a much more positive evening at the office. Uh, before we dive into the game itself and some back and forth and the game flow and some takeaways, all that fun stuff, it worked from our sponsors on today's podcast, and the first of which is Indeed. Imagine you're the hiring expert for your company. What you really need is to make your shortlist of quality candidates. You need a hiring partner who makes your life easier, and you need Indeed. Indeed is the job site that makes hiring as easy as one, two, three, post-screening interview all on Indeed. Get your quality shortlist of candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description faster. Only pay for the candidates that meet your must-have qualifications and schedule and complete your video interviews in your Indeed dashboard. Indeed makes connecting with and hiring the right talent fast and easy. With tools like Indeed Instant Match, which gives you quality candidates whose resume on Indeed fits your job description immediately, and Indeed Skills Test that on average reduce hiring time by 27%. You can choose from more than 130 skills tests or add your own, then add your must-have requirements so that you only have to pay for your applications that meet them. According to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all of the other job sites combined. If you're hiring, you need Indeed. Get started right now with a free $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash locked. Get a $75 credit at Indeed.com slash locked. Indeed.com slash locked. Offer valid through June 30th. Terms and conditions apply. All right, we'll dive in now to what transpired between the first and fourth quarters all the way through this game. And it was kind of a mixed bag at the beginning. Chicago started out the game 7-2. to two. And then the Hawks erased that with a 12-3 run of their own. Trey Young started well and actually played well the entire game. Um, the Hawks had a three with Tony Snell to go up 14-10. This is a good note from Glenn Wilson Peachtree Hoops that he passed along on Twitter. But the Hawks had some interesting um, sort of adjustments to make because Chicago played sort of an interesting defensive scheme early on 
they tried to cover up for the lack of bigs, and they were without, obviously, Usovich in this game. And they were trying to counteract the strengths of Collins and Capella. So they had some mixed, some mixed success, I would say. But they kind of threw a curveball, at least what I was expecting. I'm probably the Hawks as well, with what they were covering the Hawks early on. Atlanta was able to get some early lobs, though, when, when they got downhill. So they figured things out relatively quickly. But um, that was something that I want to at least note that Glenn pointed out on Twitter at the beginning of this game. Um, Herder came as the first sub off the bench. He had some tape on his shoulder. Obviously, he did not start. I don't, I don't have an answer for you as to why he didn't start. It was Snell, obviously a little bit more defense-focused there. The Bulls were kind of big um, on the perimeter. They had um, Patrick Williams, who's you know kind of a 3-4 guy, and he was starting at the 3 with Thad Young at the 4, so maybe that was part of it. Herder, obviously, off the injury as well, so uh, no answers there for now. We'll see what happens moving forward in the lineup. But Herder came in as the first sub, and it was Capella going off with the second foul. They brought in Gallinari right away off the bench. The Hawks scored at a pretty high level early on. Trey had 11 points in the first eight minutes. He was great. But the Hawks only led by two because defensively, it was kind of an adventure in the first half. So the rotation, it was relatively normal in the fact that the Hawks played 10 guys, though. A little bit more than... They've only been using nine for a while, but again, they had a lot more guys available in this game. So one of my questions coming in was who was going to play, who was going to not play. Looking ahead a little bit here, the Hawks chose to DNP Chris Dunn. So he was available, he was active, he was in uniform, um, but this is sort of a preview of what's to come, and it's gonna, it would get even harder if they had Hunter around, but there will be guys, uh, probably plural, that have been playing all year when they're healthy, they're not going to play in playoff settings or in high leverage settings. In this game, it was Chris Dunn. Obviously, he's been out for a while, but um, they have to make some decisions, and I think McMillan's almost more likely to go with 9 than 11. So uh, they played 10 in this game, and that was the guy who sort of lost playing time that's been getting it recently. At any rate, though, it was a Kongwu coming in as the third sub for Collins. Then they play with Williams and Snell um, kind of back back and forth from there. They brought in Solomon Hill, etc. So they, they used the full second unit together twice in this game. Um, and that was with, uh, you know, Lou Williams alongside Herter, Solomon Hill, and uh, Gallinari and a Kongwu. Um, I'm not sure why they sat Trey Young as early as they did in this game. He was on fire, um, getting whatever he wanted, really. And usually when that happens, they'll ride him a little bit longer. That, that did not happen in this game. And they also didn't run any laps at all with Trey Young and Lou Williams on the court, which I actually like. That's not a pairing that I enjoy very much, um, defensively anyway. But the Hawks, I didn't love. You know, it, it's a one-off. It's a back-to-back. I get all that. And they're trying to find some combinations that work. I didn't love how much the second unit played together as an entire whole in this game. Anyway. Some nice moments from Okongwu. Um, he beat Tyson on the court a couple times and then fished over him over a contest at the rim. But the Bulls tied it late in the first quarter. Um, the Hawks did score the last seven points. That was their best stretch um, with a bench on the floor the entire game. It was that 7-0 mini run at the end of the first quarter to put the Hawks up by five. And offensively, it was kind of driving the ship on that end of the floor. But then defensively, it was kind of a mess, and that carried over to the second quarter. So second quarter was the nightmare of sorts in this game. McMillan talked about it. Uh, it was pretty obvious, but the Hawks lost that quarter 37 to 23, and the Bulls, without their top two creators, should never score almost 40 points on you in a quarter. And they started out 9 to 2 in the second quarter. It should have been 11 2, honestly, because they missed a genuine layup in transition that would have given them the lead. But the Hawks, uh, got, you know, kind of a timeout called by McMillan. He was not very thrilled. Uh, Solomon Hill had a couple of bad moments. He took a three that he probably should have taken. Then Lou turned it over. The full second unit was minus six in a pretty long stint there. Um, I would not run that unit very much if they could help it. But the Hawks trailed by as many as seven early on. Trey was cooking. Um, he made his first five shots, including uh, actually he was five of five from the floor, two of two from three, and eight of eight from the line. So he had 20 points in about 11 and a half minutes. So he was pretty impressive offensively. But the Bulls were hot. 
They scored 26 points in the first eight minutes of the second quarter. Took an eight-point lead. Tony Snell actually left for the locker room. The Hawks called that a right ankle sprain. He ended up starting the second half and seemingly was okay, but that's something to circle and keep an eye on. That was, uh, you know, most of the time this year when the Hawks have an injury, those guys are out for a while. But he ended up popping back in and starting and playing the rest of the half. So we'll see how that looks. But that was at least a small win after he left the game. But a couple of frees from Bogdanovich. The offense was not too bad in the second quarter, but defensively, it was really kind of a struggle. And then foul trouble played in as, played in as well. Capella got his third late that brought Congo back in the game. Um, the Hawks, sort of the last minute, was really kind of a weird mess for Atlanta. They had a couple threes that would have tied it in the final minute. A couple of good looks. They just didn't fall. That's going to happen sometimes. So you're down three. They foul Patrick Williams. He makes both free throws. Then John Collins kind of inexplicably turns it over on an inbounds pass in the backcourt. That leads to a three for the Bulls. Just a nightmare sequence at all. Kind of all the way, all the way across. Then the Hawks get the ball back. Trey Young gets stopped, misses a shot, and then it's called for a loose ball foul that they had to review with about a second left to go. And at the end of all that, the Hawks are down nine at the half. And again, they had a shot in the air to tie it. Sorry, two shots in the air to tie it in the final minute of the first half. Ended up being down nine at the break. So that was a big swing, it felt like, in the moment. And the Hawks only had 22 points for Trey Young, but they didn't have much else going offensively. They had 10 turnovers. They were 6 of 18 from three. Um... Obviously, they were probably average offensively for the most part, but just didn't get to the lane, get in the lane a lot. Defensively, it was a mess. I can't overstate this. Um, Thirty-four points in the paint allowed to the Bulls uh, without Vucevic is pretty jarring. The Bulls scored about one point two five points per possession in the first half. That is really bad for a team again playing without its two best players offensively. So the the defense you just cannot get away with that. Again, the margin of error was pretty wide here, and as it showed in the second half, the Hawks won this game pretty comfortably. But against a better team, the Hawks might have lost this game in the second quarter um, because they were playing a, a pretty bad team. They were able to turn it on in the second half, but uh, I would say that's kind of holding me back from like outright you know, overflowing praise in this game. The Hawks won this game took care of business. But that was a pretty frustrating first half. McMillan said as much in the postgame as well. He was not thrilled, you could tell, at that point in time. But the third quarter was the exact opposite for Atlanta. It was 28-12 to 12 in their favor, so they ended up winning the middle two quarters by two points. They, it was uh, it was 51-49 in the second and third combined, but it was the exact opposite quarters along the way. And the first eight minutes or so of the, of the third quarter was just uh, lights out from Atlanta. A 13-0 run from the Hawks after, actually, the Bulls scored first to go up by 11. And then 13-0 run, a couple threes by Bogdanovich and Young, a lob dunk to Capella, and then Collins hits the three to take the lead at 67-65. After a timeout, they got two more stops and two more buckets. So it was a 17-0 run overall to go from down 13, so, uh, sorry, down from down 11 to up six. The Bulls finally score there, but it wasn't done there. Um, a great pass by Bogdanovich to Collins for another three. Then he had another pit assist to Capella. They all scored 22 points in the first five-ish minutes of the third quarter. It was a 26-4 overall run by Atlanta to go up 11 after Herder made a three. So the Bulls just couldn't score. They scored six points in about the first eight and a half minutes of the third quarter and only 12 overall in the period. So, perfect storm. They did they did sort of have a 6-0 run late, late, late in the quarter against the bench. But um, the Hawks played quite well, especially when the Stars were on the floor in the third quarter. Um, that was the tie. Actually, they tied for the fewest points allowed in a quarter all year with 12. Um, that's pretty impressive in itself. They had some help, to be sure. It wasn't like totally on the Hawks' defense. The Bulls were 0-6 from three, for instance. They were 6-22 from the floor. Some of that's good contest from the Hawks, for sure. 
But um, Atlanta didn't actually shoot that ball, shoot the ball that well in the third quarter. They, they, they made five threes, though. They took care of the ball, got a lot of stops, and that was uh, what ended up flipping this game in their favor. Still, though, they used the backup unit, again, too much. I don't want to overstate it too much here, but um, they played again in the late third, early fourth. This wasn't all the backups, but the Hawks only scored two points in almost seven minutes at the end of the third quarter and the, the start of the fourth quarter. So against a better team, that might have cost them. It just didn't matter as much in this game because the Bulls couldn't score either. They finally got out of it with Gallinari and Herter hitting a couple threes um, sort of early in the fourth quarter to uh, stabilize things. The Bulls got within five with about you know seven and a half minutes to go. Then a nice little 5-0 run by the Hawks with Bogdanovich and Troy Young hitting a pretty difficult off-dribble three to go up by 10. That was kind of a dagger-ish kind of play. Um, the other dagger potential was uh, Trey Young actually made what looked to be a four-point play opportunity, but they waved it off. For some reason, he just can't get those calls right now with the, on the continuations around the perimeter. But he made both free throws, go up by 12 with five and a half minutes to go. And the Bulls just never made their run. Um, there was a great backdoor play from Young to Bogdanovich to force a timeout with uh, about four minutes to go, up by 12. The Bulls got it to eight with 220-ish remaining, but it was a nice finish by Collins, actually pretty under control, um, mature finish there from him to, they kind of needed a bucket, and they got a steal from there, that was kind of it, there was a challenge by, by McMillan in the final 90 seconds, in, in, in which he actually won, um, it was a pretty bad call live on Capella, who was pretty clearly vertical defensively, but they got stopped from there, and that was pretty much the end of that, so no real push from the Bulls, uh, that's a nice, a nice little uh, subplot here, is that the Bulls were not good enough to make that push, and the Hawks kind of comfortably let it slide into an 11-point win at the end. Uh, much more from this game momentarily with some takeaways and some player-by-player breakdowns, but first, a word from our sponsors on today's podcast, and the first of which is betonline.ag. Baseball is in full swing right now, and you can track all the action and much, much more at betonline.ag. BetOnline is both the fastest and the easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. Get all the latest news, odds, and information for all of your sporting needs, including the NBA, of course, with MLB, NHL, UFC, Golf, soccer, tennis, auto racing, entertainment bets, and much, much more. BetOnline also has all of the props and future bets you could possibly want, and they offer live wagering options on a ton of events, which can add a lot of intrigue when you're watching any game. Before the next pitch or dribble, head over to BetOnline.ag on your laptop or mobile device. You can check out the news, contest information, and sign-up bonuses right now. Take this chance to get off the sidelines and take your opportunity to get into the game as teams prepare for the run to the playoffs. If you visit betonline.ag right now, you can sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with BetOnline. That is a 50% bonus on your first deposit if you use the promo code LOCKEDON. One more time, that is promo code LOCKEDON, 50% more in a welcome bonus with betonline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Today's show is also brought to you by the good folks at Built Bar. Built Bar is spectacular, and if anything, it's more delicious than ever. Built Bar has a ton of amazing flavors that we've been talking about for quite some time on the podcast. That includes options with or without nuts, and it also features some of my personal favorites like lemon almond cheesecake and cookies and cream. Each and every bar is covered in 100% chocolate, and they're also soft and easy to chew, making the entire experience all that much better. And Built Bar is also great if you're trying to be health conscious, you can maintain or even lose weight while enjoying something that tastes absolutely incredible. Built Bar is also low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, and high-fiber, and Built Bar is even great for the keto diet. My personal favorite, as I said a number of times, is cookies and cream, and the profile there from the health perspective is awesome. 17 grams of protein, 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and only 4 grams of net carbs. It is a fantastic time to check out BuiltBar.com. Yes, that's BuiltBar.com. If you go there right now, 
you have 15% off with the promo code LOCKED15. If you use that promo code, once again, it's LOCKED15. That's 15% off on your next order with BuiltBar.com. Check it all out. There's plenty to check out at BuiltBar.com, and I recommend all the flavors. You can find it all at BuiltBar.com, and you can try Built Bar today. One more time, promo code LOCKED15, 15% off at BuiltBar.com. Okay, and we'll take away a couple things from the end of this game team-wise, and then we'll dive into the individual players. As I said, the first half, pretty shaky and kind of disappointing, actually, in a spot where they actually needed to win this game. Um, you know, I don't want to downplay it too much. They still won the game comfortably, but a frustrating first half in a lot of ways. After halftime, though, the numbers were great. They shot 50% from the floor, 8 of 18 from 3, only 5 turnovers. They held the Bulls to 40% shooting. Chicago was 0 of 10 from 3 after halftime, which is certainly helpful, but um, they were still also a bad shooting team on paper, so there's some uh, non-luck in there. It's sort of that mix. Um, Rebounding-wise, it was kind of a net neutral in this game, which is a pretty positive thing because the Bulls were number one in the league in defensive rebounding this year coming into the night. You know, still, you know, they were without Vucevic, but Thad Young's a monster. I love Thad Young. He played very well in this game for Chicago. But the Hawks didn't, like, dominate the offensive class as they, I would say, usually or often do. But they held their own defensively, and that was kind of a net neutral overall on that side of the uh, coin here. The starters were uh, obviously quite good. The bench was quite bad. We'll get into that more with the individual stuff, but every starter was plus 13 or better. Every bench guy was minus three or worse. So that tells you a little bit about the story here, and there was a lot of that like kind of line change stuff where it was a lot of full units, especially when you uh, take out Snell. Um, so yeah, it was interesting. Um, offensively, the Hawks were fine. Uh, they were pretty, pretty much their average. They, they scored about 1.14 points per possession, which is around where they score for the season. And the Bulls, defensively, um, you could argue that they actually were probably better on paper tonight because of Levine and Vucevic not being there. And they were okay. You know, Thad Young's really good, and Garrett Temple's pretty good, etc. But it wasn't like the Hawks were awesome offensively. They were just fine slash pretty good. They shot the ball well. Um, 50% from the floor, 39% from three. You can obviously love that. But a lot of turnovers, 15, 15 turnovers leading to 21 points and 19 assists. So that's not a great ratio for you. Um, got to the line a pretty decent amount, but, you know, the turnovers kind of, and the offensive rebounds not coming, that kind of mitigates your great shooting. So, again, a pretty solid overall night offensively. Defensively, the numbers look much better because of the second half. First half, pretty ugly. Second half, really good. So they ended up holding the Bulls to about 1.02 points per possession, which is actually quite good on the whole. Again, some help there. 6 of 24 from 3 for the Bulls for the game. Um, there's a little bit of noise in there, obviously, but the Hawks did their job defensively for the most part especially after halftime. Now, that second quarter, not so much. But uh, everything else, totally fine. The bench was shaky, and we'll get into that in a second, but we'll leave that there in terms of the overall takeaways from the night. Um, individually, we'll start on the bench. And as, as I alluded to earlier, no one was great on the bench in this game. Solomon Hill, 13, 13 minutes, no points, 0-3 from the floor. He, he took one bad shot. I, I think he's, he's not very good in this game overall. Um, he'll be, he's a guy that I think could lose some playing time in the near future, especially if Hunter's able to play. But if he, you know, he's, he's sort of that hybrid 3-4 role. McMillan trusts him, all that. He was not particularly good in this game. Lou Williams was quiet slash not great. And again, it's sort of, I've been talking about this for a long time now, but if he, does, if he doesn't play with Young, which he didn't in this game, he just isn't going to play that much. Um, there is a role, an obvious role, and I think this is what I would do with Lou Williams in a playoff setting, is that he plays one Trey sets and that's it. And that's what happened in this game. Trey played 36 minutes. Lou played about 12 and a half. And there you go. Um, but he was 1 of 4 from the floor. Actually, 0 of 3 on 2s, 1 of 1 on 3s. He was okay. You know, 5 points, 3 assists. Defensively had some rough moments. But uh, he wasn't, like, you know, killing them. But he was not fantastic either. 
Kevin Herter, um, kind of a slow return from his injury. He was actually minus 11, 26 minutes. Missed all four of his twos. That was kind of what the uh, sort of weighed down his efficiency in this game. Two of five from three, though. Hit a couple big ones. Had a steal and a block. Had an assist, three rebounds. I thought he looked fine. He didn't look terribly rusty other than the shooting. So uh, hopefully he's healthy and ready to go for Monday and beyond. A Kong move was pretty solid, I thought. Um, defensively, you lose that little punch that Capella brings, but four points, three rebounds. I thought he was pretty active, had one really nice stone wall at the rim, uh, verticality play, and finished twice when he had the ball around the rim as well. So he continues to be just fine off the bench. We'll definitely see a lot of Collins at the five um, in, in the coming days, but I think Collins did his job with Capella under, under some foul trouble in this game. Gallinari hit a couple big shots, especially in the second half. Uh, nine points, five rebounds, an assist, and a steal. I think defensively, he's kind of regressed the last week or two. Um, he's not been, obviously he's never been good this year, but early on it was like deplorably bad in the in this season. He seemed to stabilize a little bit in the middle. Now he's kind of regressed a little bit, so we'll see where that lands. But he still made a couple big shots off the bench that were helpful and stabilizing. And he was the best um, plus-minus on the bench with minus three for the night. Uh, Tony Snell, very quiet. He got banged up, but again, did come back in the game. Plus 24, the game best for Tony Snell. Um, took two shots, one of two from the floor. Um, two steals and assists, three points. It was a very Tony Snell game. Uh, good to have him back, and he's that stabilizing force. And obviously, super low usage offensively, but um, good, good defender. Always solid enough defender, and uh, has to be guarded, obviously. Um, the other four guys were all pretty good. Bogdanovich was the one that I would say was the quote-unquote worst of the four, but still, he was totally fine. Um, he's not going to keep shooting so hot, and as we saw in his last game on Monday against Detroit and this one, his efficiency is a little bit down in those two games because it just had to be. He was never going to shoot you know, 55% from the floor and 50% from three forever, but 6-15 from, from the floor, 3 of 9 from three in this game. 15 points, 6 rebounds, had 5 assists, a steal and a block. I thought he, I thought he played fine. He didn't shoot it great, but that's okay. He was able to maintain his, his efficiency and effectiveness overall, even without a lights-out shooting gate game. Um, Tony, uh, John Collins was I thought was really good actually. Um, in a night where he was not, you know, dominant as a scorer, he had 13 points. He was five of ten from the floor, two of five from three. Just like a totally solid, fine night offensively. I thought he was really good defensively. Ten rebounds, four steals, a block. Um, he was in the way. A couple of nice um, help side plays using his size. I thought it was like one of those under-the-radar under Collins games where he just does a lot of things well. Um, again, not dominant, but I think if you look at the box score, yeah, he had a double-double, but you wouldn't like that wouldn't scream at you. I thought he just played like actually well in this game. And then Capella, 20 points, 11 rebounds. He continues to have a double-double almost every night of the season. He now has 43 double-doubles this year, which is obviously just a ridiculous number. But 8-9 uh, of nine from the floor, that's a big one for Capella. If he's finishing like that, he's tough to stop. He did, he did miss five free throws. That's, uh, that's always going to be a shaky point for him. But rebounding-wise, always good. Two blocks, plus 19. He was he was good in this game. There were moments, I think, he actually struggled a little bit in that second quarter. He was part of the problem early on in that period. But he settled in from there and was pretty good in the second half. Uh, and then Trey Young. Uh, Trey was awesome in this game, honestly. Um, by the way, this is the 59th time in his career in three years that he has scored 30 points or more. That's the franchise record for the most 30-point games in the first three seasons of his career, so he passed Bob Pettit for that one. Anytime you can pass Bob Pettit, who is a no-doubt Hall of Famer, that's pretty good. Um, obviously, there's a long way to go to catch Neek on the all-time list in terms of that rank, of that ranking, but uh, a great little number from Hawks PR on that one. But Trey Young, 33 points, 7 assists, 2 steals, Three rebounds. Nate McMillan was uh, really positive. I actually asked Nate after the game what he thought about Trey, and he talked up his sort of management of the team as well, in addition to the scoring. His defense, he uh, he got he had a shout-out for his defense for McMillan in the second half. Um, I thought he was really good. I mean, kind of all the way across the board, 
No signs of injury struggle right now after missing those four games with the ankle. He looks kind of refreshed. He looks quick. Um, you know, if the ankle is healthy, and it seems to be, it might even be a blessing in disguise that he had a week off. Um, that's, I don't I want to overstate that too much because obviously you don't, you don't got, I got to get hurt. But if the ankle is checks checks out 100%, um, he he looks really good. I mean, you can't say anything else besides that. He looked awesome in this game. He looked spry. He looked quick. Um, he was efficient. I would say hyper-efficient. 9 of 14 from the floor, 4 of 8 from 3, 11 of 12 from the free throw line. So plus 15, best player on the floor in this spot. And uh, the Hawks don't win this game as comfortably without him. By any means, they probably don't win it at all without him. So uh, a nice night for Trey overall to, uh, you know, second straight. And honestly, with a back-to-back, to have no remnants of the injury is a very, very nice sign looking forward. So with the win, the Hawks are now 35 and 33 on the season. Sorry, 35 and 30 on the season. I misstated there. 19 and 11 at home. So very, very solid in their own building. And they've clinched the play-in, as I said before. They're now um, eight games up, by the way, on the 11 seed with seven to go, which is why they clinched that play-in spot. Both the Celtics and Knicks were off on Sunday. Uh, sorry, on Saturday night. So there, no change there. Miami, Charlotte, Indiana all won. So the standings did not go in Atlanta's favor, but they won the game, so who cares? Um, the Hawks are now a game back of New York. They're a half game ahead of Miami and Boston, and they're three ahead of Charlotte. Tiebreaker-wise, as a reminder, as I'm going to say this pretty much on every podcast, they lose the tiebreaker with the Knicks, they win it with the Heat and the Celtics, and they lose it with the Hornets. So, circle all of that. The Hawks are in much better shape today than they were last night. The swing between Boston winning and the Hawks losing on Friday was not ideal, but this is a nice little stabilizer for Atlanta. Now, the schedule is interesting. Moving forward, the Hawks have two more home games in a row. It's Portland on Monday and Phoenix on Wednesday. That Phoenix game is their hardest game on the schedule remaining because Phoenix has been awesome this year. It is in Atlanta, though, and on full rest, which is helpful. And both the Blazers and Celtics, Blazers and uh, and Suns, I should say, are on back-to-backs when they come. So that's a little bit of a positive sign that plays into the schedule stuff that the Hawks have throughout this run. You know, six to last seven at home. There's a lot of positivity there. Even the game they go to Indiana, Indiana's been banged up, although they beat the Thunder by about a million tonight. That's a crazy result. But... Atlanta in good shape here. Just keep winning. If they go out and, you know, post five and two in the last seven, they should be right where they want to be. So we'll have to talk about that throughout, but I want to get this podcast out to you for Sunday morning and uh, we'll start the week from there. So Hawks back in action Monday night Blazers. We'll talk about that game at that point in time. If, if there's any ma- massive news in between now and then, it might pop back in. But for now, the plan is to record after Hawks Blazers on Monday. Um, thank you for listening to the podcast. As always, hopefully this is coherent. Late, late, late into the night here on Saturday. And uh, rate, review, subscribe, do all of that fun stuff. And we'll see you after the game on Monday.